Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Hello, this is Judy Sedgman, and I'm coming to you from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to welcome you to Psychology Has It Backwards with my wonderful, talented, and brilliant therapist, colleague, and friend. Christine Heath, and I'm coming to you from... Uh, Not too warm yet, Hawaii. Uh, Beautiful day today here. You know, last week we talked to you about uh, why people get caught in in violent thinking to the point where it looks so real they act on it and how how this has created a a kind of a subculture really in in our thinking about uh, things that happen in the world because there's so much gun violence and so many young men especially that are caught up in, in violent acts towards people. And, and, you know, is this truly a, a long-term mental health issue or, is, or can we understand it differently and, and approach it differently? And one of the things that we want to make very clear is that it isn't that people aren't accountable for what they did when they're in that state of mind uh, and that they shouldn't be arrested and, and uh, go through the criminal justice system if they've done terrible things. But that the, if you understand what mental health really is, many of these things would would never happen. And the point we were trying to make is that people don't understand think thought, and so they think of people, certain circumstances just make it inevitable that certain types of people are going to do these things instead of realizing that everybody has, the, has a redeeming capacity to see their thinking for what it is. And so today we want to talk to you about if you're a parent or a brother or a sister or uncle or a teacher or a priest or minister or a counselor, you know, and, you, and you're working with people that are deeply troubled and that you, you get kind of frightened by the kinds of things they're talking about or thinking about, you know, how do you handle that yourself? And what kind of, what can we share with you that might help, help you to help them? and to help yourself through a situation that might be otherwise frightening. And, you know, uh, Chris and I have talked about this, and, and one of the lessons I think, you know, Chris is a, as a stepmom and me as a mother of a, uh, one person, um, we both had to learn a really important lesson in life as, uh, you know, wanting to be really a good influence on the on the children in our life and really wanting to make a difference for them and to be there for them. And we had to learn to listen. And your natural inclination as a teacher or a counselor or a parent or an authority figure of any sort, you know, with young people around you is to talk to them. You know, I've got to go talk to this kid. I've got to tell him what's up. I've got to tell him, you know, what to do. I've got to give him better advice. I've got to do this or that. And, uh, you know, I learned the hard way when my daughter was a teenager that I, I hadn't been listening to her at all. I had been talking at her, trying to be, you know, this good mother. <laughs> Not that I had, you know, I wasn't punishing her or anything. I just wasn't paying any attention to what she had to say. And, you know, really hearing her 
And so it's almost like, you know, as a teenager, they get your attention in much more destructive ways than they did when they were four. But, you know, it's the same thing. It's like when you're distracted and not listening to your kid and they come in the kitchen and they say, mommy, and you don't turn around, they'll go, mommy. And if you don't turn around, they'll start screaming, mommy, 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 mommy. <laughs> and so, you know, as they get older, they get much more creative in the ways they get your attention. <laughs> and that's really true. And I, you know, I, when I realized that I really was a big bolt of humility that came over me and I thought, oh my gosh, I really thought I was a very good mother because, you know, I was trying to really give her good advice and guidance and everything, but, you know, she was trying to grow up and she was trying to understand life. And she had a lot of questions about life that I didn't even know she had, you know, because I never listened. (laughs) And so, um, and I thought, you know, when as we were talking last week about what people go through when they get caught up in frightening negative thinking, is normally the thinking frightens them. So if you're a young person, and most of these people that do these acts are young, as people get older, they tend to be able to stop themselves. But they, when, when kids get frightened by young people or any person gets very frightened by their own thinking, they start worrying about themselves. There's something wrong with me. I know this is, I know this is terrible. I've never felt this bad before. And when they start thinking there's something wrong with them, they assume that other people are noticing there's something wrong with them and they get, and they, and they just kind of back away from people because they, they feel different and they feel isolated and they feel very frightened by their own thoughts. And the, And the only person in their life, perhaps, that could break through that is the person that they least want to tell about it. It's going to be the person in their life that they really want that person to love them. They really want that person to think they're okay. And, you know, I always tell parents, the last question you ever want to ask a troubled teenager is, what's wrong with you? Because they don't know what's wrong with them. And if they think you don't know either, then, then you're, they're screwed. You know, you're the court of last resort. And if their parents think there's something wrong with them and they know there's something wrong with them, then there must be something terrible happening. And, but we have a tendency to do that. Like, what's wrong with you? I just don't understand what's going on. And it's innocent. But it, it, is, it, it plays into that fear because we get very, when we're caught up in a lot of very deeply negative thinking, we are increasingly frightened by the images we're creating in our own mind as compelling as they may be the other thing is is that a lot of times as parents we don't realize how much kids are listening to us right and so when we kind of entertain a lot of our own negative angry hateful thinking and we start sharing that and living that that becomes like normal for that child, right? Because they're too young to recognize that. No, I, I don't, I'm not going to pay attention to that thought. I mean, a lot of times kids will do that. They'll have a very, a parent that's very violent or that's, you know, got a substance disorder or something and, and they'll go like, I'm not ever going to be like that. But a, a lot more of us end up a lot like our parents, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> and that's why they say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So one of the things that you could do is take a look at yourself and see how much enter negativity and hatred you're living in 
and how much you're sharing, whether it's judgmentally, you know, like you have a take the higher ground and these idiots around you are, you know, stupid and doing things that are bad. But you just have to kind of pay attention to the amount of positivity and love you're sharing. Because a lot of times, especially right now, people are like inundated with hateful rhetoric and hateful thinking. And uh, if you're, if you're like sharing that and living that at home and your children are growing up in it, it's like the Petri dish, right? So it's kind of like the more you can cherish your children and really um, have that kind, loving attitude and feeling with them, the more they'll grow up and see that that's inside of them. But if you're kind of angry all the time and you're like getting in fights with people or you're like judging people or having a lot of opinions about people and they're kind of hostile and negative, you want to take a look at that. Really? Do I want my child growing up in this? Because that's, 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 that's the thought, the thought bubble that you're living in. And people just, as we listen to other people, we don't, children don't know to like, oh, that's really a bad thing. I'm not thinking about that. They just soak it up like, oh, that's what we think. Oh, that's how life is. Oh, that, you know, and whatever they make of it, you know, that's what they're going to be living in. So some kids will say, like, I remember my fa- my husband's mother and father were quite negative with him. And, and when he was about nine years old, he said, I'm not a bad kid. I don't deserve to be treated like that. And as a result, he's like one of the, one of one of the children in the family that really kind of grew up and is okay and still alive at this point, right? It's like uh, his siblings all all kind of had a, a, a much harsher life. And um, it's just that happens sometimes, and a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times kids are just very compliant and they're soaking it in like, oh, you know how babies are. They just, they just study you. They're just like soaking it in, taking everything in. Well, Pay attention to what you're giving them. Pay attention to what you're spewing out of your own mouth. Just like you wouldn't like smoke a cigarette and blow it in their face. Well, if you're screaming and hollering and doing a lot of negativity, you don't want to be putting that in their heads either. Yeah, that's that's a and and it's all very innocent because you know it's kind of like people talk about generational problems. It's almost like it's DNA, but it isn't. It's habit. You know, we have habits of thought and then we, you know, it's like having a child is a big wake up call in, into, you know, what am I putting out in the world? Uh, because your habit, you start to notice that you're doing habits that your parents did and then you start realizing your kids are going to do your habits. So there's that. And that's one thing. But the other thing is, so what if you've had like a nice, uh, pleasant home and all these things and suddenly you're you know, your adult or older teenage child suddenly starts getting caught up in something because now, of course, kids on the internet, we have no idea what they're looking at half the time and there's no way to monitor it anymore. You just can't, it's too much and this, it happens so fast and, and there's so much terrible, ugly stuff out there. Sadly, there's some beautiful things too, but you know, I, one of the things that I realized is that uh, kids don't know the difference. You know, they go on the internet and then they see something on a website that they're used to look or an app that they're used to looking at. 
And at a certain point in their life, they don't distinguish between people who are putting out bad stuff that's upsetting and people that are putting out innocent stuff that's stupid, but fun, you know, mm-hmm. they just look at it. It's all like one thing, you know, that's, that's real. That's real. That's real. It takes on a reality. So, you know, I, I, I think that paying attention to, for, well, first of all, engaging with, with young people, Again, whether you're a parent, a teacher, a priest, a, you know, engaging, not just talking at them, not just, you know, having them come to your group and listen to you, or come into the dining room and listen to your father, you know, or listen to your mother or your aunt or your grandmother or whatever, is is uh, is kind of a foreign thought to us because we are kind of brought up to think that the adults are the smart ones. <laughs> but we're all the same. Kids have wisdom too, but we have just like, we have to find the wisdom in ourselves. We have to help our kids to find it in themselves, to point to it so they can see it. And, um, and I realize, you know, that, that for a lot of my daughter's early teenage years, her dad and I were both running businesses and we were very caught up in our businesses and we weren't negative people, but we talked business a lot, which was totally uninteresting to her. But we would sit at the dinner table and talk about things that she could care less about. And um, she'd just eat dinner and think, well, who cares what I think? I guess nobody's paying attention to me, you know? And I think that that's, that was where it started. When I look back on it with some humility, I think, Innocently, we just created a, a world in which her thoughts didn't matter, mm-hmm. uh, or it appeared that way. Now, we did care what she thought about, but we were busy, and we didn't always stop and ask her, you know. And, but everything changed, honestly, when, you know, we got kind of had a scare, and then we got to the point where I said, you know what? I don't know you. I'm sorry. I really don't. I've been talking at you you know, trying to help you to grow up and help you to find your path through life. And I have no idea what you want to do, mm-hmm. you know, and that changed everything because it, it, it made me take a look inside and say, you know, if somebody asked me like, what does your daughter daydream about when she thinks about her future? I wouldn't be able to answer the question. I have no idea. <laughs> that, that scared me. You know, it's kind of thing you kind of feel like you ought to know that. And, um, and so there's that. But also, I, I, re, I, I was, I was uh, telling Chris earlier, I had a kind of funny experience with my daughter later on. She was in high school, and she had an English teacher that she didn't have a lot of respect for, to be honest. But she was doing well in the class. And they had to turn in a story. And so she showed me the story she wrote, and it scared me to death because it was really gory. And I was like, where did she get these crazy ideas? You know, like it really frightened me. And I said, why did you write this? You know, it's just awful. And she said, oh, I just finished reading a Stephen King novel. And um, I thought, oh, that's interesting how he can describe these things and make money. And and then my teacher is kind of like, a, she freaks out a lot. And I'm thinking like, I don't really like her. So I'm going to write this and it'll scare her. <laughs> and she was, now that's not very nice, but. Nonetheless, it wasn't, it, it didn't mean that she was going to become a serial killer. You know, she had a, she had a bad idea for a, for a fairly neutral reason. 
you know, so I said, you know, probably better if you want to maintain your A, a average, if you just wrote some normal thing, you know, so right? didn't try to be the next Stephen King. And she did. I mean, you know, but, but, um, but I, I remember when I first read it, I thought, oh, I can't believe she has these gory, horrible thoughts. Where did she get these terrible thoughts? And then when I asked her and inquired about it, it turned out that she'd read it, stuff like that in a book. And she thought, oh, it's interesting. I didn't know writers wrote this kind of stuff and put it in books that made money out there in the public. And she just wondered if she could do it. And now, if she had said, it just seems like a really good idea to me to, you know, eviscerate chickens or whatever, you know, that's not what it was, but, you know, something like that, then I would have had a different response. But I wouldn't have known how to respond had I not asked her. And had she not had the kind of relationship with me where she would show me what she wrote. And so I think this is one of the things is it, we've lost in our understanding of each other as people, the gift of conversation and the gift of casual idle conversation where we just talk about life. You know, we're busy and we're running around and we're online a lot. And I, I've noticed sometimes I've <laughs> sat in uh, like doctor's waiting rooms. And it used to be kind of fun to go to a doctor's waiting room and chat with other people in the waiting room. But now everybody's looking at their iPhone or their Android phone. <laughs> you can't, <laughs> you never can carry on a conversation. Nobody's talking to anybody. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's, that's, that's a shame. Yeah, I think that that's really true. Plus, I think a lot of times when kids are really insecure as children and they kind of go through their grade school and and especially junior high, um, kids are awful to each other, right? Like they are, they're discovering who they are and they kind of think they're all that. And then other kids think they're not all that, right? And the and there's this bullying and all kinds of bad behavior that comes from thinking, you know, from kids not understanding how thinking works and how compassion works and how being kind works. And I think that, that sometimes we got to slow down to really teach kids that. I remember um, my son, my youngest stepson, we had just, I just, um, they just moved in with us, you know, so this was all like, the title of my book, should I ever write it, is called um, How to Be Hated and Still Keep Your Self-Esteem, The Guide to Step Parenting. (laughs) And so uh, I get this call from him, Christine, you have to come get me at school. It's like, what happened? He goes, I got suspended. It's like, what and so in this particular school, my agency had a program for at-risk kids, right? So I, I go up to pick him up, and I said, what happened? He goes, well, I got in a fight. I was like, oh, my God, this kid's going to get referred to my own program. I can't believe this, you know. <laughs> it, and, and, and so I was like, start like, you know, and he's like, looks at me, and he goes, look, I'm a big kid. This is how it works. I got to set my boundaries. Ask dad. And then I, I realized when he reacted like that, I thought, uh, this is not my business, right? Like I got to step back on this because this is something his father does need to talk to him about. But then we had a conversation with him about how using violence is not a good way to settle your differences or to set your boundaries, 
that there are other ways to do it that will speak more loudly and he'll, he would look more stronger actually than reacting. So those moments in time when kids get caught up in this kind of stuff, that's your time to be a parent. That's the time for you to help them to see how to be a good person. And that's kind of the, the, the difficulty that a lot of parents have is like you said, Judy, is like they get busy, they get busy with their lives and their work and whatever they're into. And they somehow think the kids will kind of grow themselves up, but having that really having a strong connection with your parent and you know, the parent is loving, but also is, you know, helping you to see how to be a good person, like just paying attention to other people's needs and things like that, that we learn as we, grow up, the earlier you learn it, the better. But if you're so caught up in your thinking and your thinking is so negative that you 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 start to withdraw and, and start to have dark thoughts and do a lot of um, negative connections where you're connecting with people, but you're connecting at a level of hostility, that's going to just create more of it when people don't understand how thought works. You know, Christopher came home another time. I remember he came home, it was about a, two years later, maybe. And he walks in the house and he kind of slams the door and he lipped off to me. I said, honey, don't forget to take the garbage out or something. And he lips off to me and I get this, of all the nerve, you little so-and-so, how dare you talk to me like that? And I, I could feel myself react, right? And I thought, okay, calm down. You can't, don't go in there like this. And I, so I calmed myself down and I said, okay, based on what I know about how the principles work, what's going on with him? And I thought, oh, he's in a really bad mood. I bet something happened at school. So I went, calmed myself, got in a good feeling, calmed myself down, went in his room, knocked on the door, came, went in and sat down on the ground. He was laying on his bed and I sat down on the ground and I said, honey, you're normally not so angry and disrespectful. What's going on? What happened? He goes, oh, my teacher, blah, blah, blah. You know, and something happened at school and he had his feelings hurt and he was in this really hoo-hoo state of mind. And um, the negativity that came out of that was just coming from that space. And as soon as he was able to talk about it, then he calmed down and he was better. And, you know, you know, we talked about how teachers have bad days too and not to take it personally. And I was able to, you know, he was able to, to listen to me too, you know, and that's the thing that parents don't realize that when you listen to them, they start to listen to you because you, you get out of that. I'm the boss and you're the, the subservient human being that needs to do whatever I say. Yeah. And also you don't get frightened. I mean, the, the, the greatest gift of understanding the nature of our own nature as human beings and how thought works and how our, how our reality shifts with our changing states of mind is that people don't scare us. And that's a great story that you told Chris, because I think often, especially with teenagers and especially with teenage boys, if they came home, if they come home like that, their parents are a little frightened, frightened for them and frightened for themselves and maybe frightened for their younger brothers and sisters. And, and so we tend, you know, to try to uh, back away and not, interact with them or, you know, just send them to their room or something like that. And they really, it's a cry for help. It's a cry for, you know, something's, something's going wrong. 
And uh, when you understand that they're like what Chris just gave me the realization, oh my gosh, he's in a really terrible, unusually terrible mood. And he's not usually like that. So something must have gone wrong and he's caught up in it. Well, that's a whole different understanding than, you know, my kid's hormonal and he's terrible and he hates us. And what are we going to do with this kid? It's a whole different reaction when your heart gets into it and you go, oh, you know, this must have been a really, some something really is work eating away at him in his own mind. And I just need to, to get, talk to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that the other thing too, is that, you know, you can also um, be a disservice to your child if you're the other way, like you're too positive about things. Because I know I, I work with a lot of parents who just like never say anything to their kids about their bad behavior because they, they're listening to the story about how the outside world made them do it. And then they say, well, that's true. You don't need to do that. And you get really kind of supportive of the child's insecurities. And that's not good. Like you just don't tell the kid, oh, you're fine. You're great. You're wonderful. You're amazing. That word amazing, I think people use at nauseum sometimes. But, you know, it, it's like, you know, it, it it's like, recognizing that positivity is still a lot of thinking. So you want to get quiet with them and see what your wisdom tells you about what does my child need? What does, what do I need to do as a parent? Because you know, it's built into you to know. You have a connection with them that's far beyond anybody else's. And if you're not feeling connected with them, you want to take a look at that and go in there and love them. And listen to them and see what you can do to help. And I, I think that's that's a final, really important point is that loving your children doesn't mean letting them get away with stuff. But it means being able to talk about them from wisdom and compassion and love and understanding, not from judgment and anger and ego. You know, and, and truthfully, one of the things that I realized is that I saw my child as a reflection of me as a parent. I didn't know that until I saw it. And so I would get upset when she did something that embarrassed me or upset me because I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, people will think I'm a terrible parent. (laughs) Well, you know, I finally decided, yeah, I kind of am a terrible parent because it's not about me. You know, parenting is not about how she's making me look. Parenting is about am I communicating with my child in a way that's constructive and helpful and and nonetheless makes it clear what you know what our goals are as human beings you know and I think sometimes that that we get we get lost in a lot of parents I've seen that happen a lot Chris where they just go oh don't worry about the fact that you you know got in trouble at school because your teacher's mean I know that I know your teacher's mean well the teacher may be mean but you're going to meet a lot of mean people in your life and it's really better if you try to explain to people how you deal with mean people than to use mean people as an excuse for your child's bad behavior. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that, that it, we're talking about, how, what, how prevention works. You know, parenting is a form of prevention. You're preventing your child from having a tough time when they grow up. And that's the whole purpose of parenting is to get your child ready to be an adult. And 
And if, if children have an understanding of the basis of life, of how thoughts work, of how our thinking looks so real to us sometimes, about how we, it, when we get caught up in things, it doesn't mean we're evil or bad people. It means that we're caught up in our thinking and we're taking it seriously and we don't understand something. And that we don't have to do that, that we have the power within us to change our minds and to see beyond it. And we have, everybody has wisdom. And, um, you know, as, as if, if more people focused on helping young people as they're growing up in life to see who they are really, to see that we're all spiritual beings, you know, making up thoughts and seeing them as real and sometimes taking the wrong things seriously because we don't understand what a bad mood is and how quickly it'll pass. Um, it would be a much nicer life later on. And with that, we've kept you a long time today, listeners. And uh, But we figured this is a pretty good topic for people right now. So, aloha. Have a great week. We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com 